0: Hey guys, so Gio and I just got back from this crazy three-week Euro trip last night at like, I want to say midnight for both of us, and so we're a little jet-lagged, but we had a really awesome interview with Corey Nicholson today that went probably about 55 minutes, just short of an hour, and I think you all are going to really enjoy this one. It's all about influencer marketing, how a 20-year-old kid dropped out of college and decided to go and start up an e-commerce brand last October. And in less than 10 months, they're already doing over half a million in revenue. So it's super tactical. I think from my standpoint, as soon as the episode ended, I immediately jumped on my computer and started looking up a bunch of stuff because anytime I hear someone achieving success so quickly, it just fires me up and motivates me. And I think it'll do the same for you guys. Now, going forward, we also have some really cool guests that we have lined up for the podcast. We kind of intentionally backlogged a bunch of episodes and up a bunch of guests for the coming weeks once we got back so i'm really excited about what you guys are going to see in the coming weeks if you guys give me one quick favor it would mean the world before we get into this episode pull out spotify apple whatever it is if you could leave a review on apple that would mean the world to us and honestly if you're on spotify that's awesome i listen to podcasts on spotify too the only thing that i would ask is if you could share it with a friend that would mean the world
1: you're listening to the next generation podcast Weekly interviews with the most interesting and successful 20-somethings out there.
0: Corey, what's going on, man? Hey, how you guys doing? Doing fantastic. Uh, Corey, we've got a chance to catch up over the past couple of months. I've heard your strategies with influencer marketing and listening to the brands you've been growing in the background uh, just through Twitter and some Facebook groups that we're in together. Would love it if you could kind of kick things off by giving people who are listening right now a background of who you are and what it is that you're working on today.
2: Yeah, for sure. So, uh, currently I'm 20 years old. I'm based out in Toronto, Canada. I've grew up here my whole life. Um, and a few years ago, so I was like probably like 16 or 17. I saw the beginning of like the YouTube ad era for Shopify gurus and all that stuff. Saw on my feed. I was hooked. I put it off to the side for a few months. Like I saw it and it stayed in my mind, but I never did anything about it. Uh, then a few months later I got my first laptop. This is like big whole like chunky thing. Uh, but I knew that this was going to be like something sentimental and before that, I had saved around like $10,000 working at McDonald's. And I knew that eventually I wanted to get out of there. Everyone was getting promoted besides me. Everyone thought I was promoted, but I wasn't. Um, and so that led to me starting my first Shopify store. And for like a two-year period, it was just me running all these AliExpress products on Shopify, learning Facebook ads. That's the route I took. I had a small interest in coding and developing. Um, I don't regret not doing that. But I had interest in that and also was like Shopify and e-commerce and stuff. So I went that route for two years. And then um, eventually I stumbled into my partner, Anthony, who was also working on a few things at the time. And then he started this one brand called PG Shapewear, which is what we're working on now. And I have some more information on this in my Twitter. Um, and he's like, hey, like you and I both have this YouTube channel because we also have this channel called Ecom Street. Why don't we, uh, you know, run a store together since all we're doing is talking about e-commerce. We should probably like, I guess, walk the talk even more. So I was like, all right, cool, let's do it. Uh, so we launched that in October, just in 2020. Um, before that, I also, quick note, I also quit my McDonald's job when I was making pretty much no money. And I dropped out of college like four days in. So I almost forgot about that part. But did those two things. Perfect. Okay. <laughs> did those two things. And then uh, launched this with Anthony. Uh, it's called Peachy Shapeware. I'm sure like we'll have the URL in the description or whatever. And, yeah. Um, yeah. And then, and then from there, we started that. And then this year... In our first year in 2021, we've just passed the 500K mark in revenue, and we're uh, looking to do great things this Black Friday and stuff. And then what happens next year is still up to us. We can exit this or keep going and grow it even further. Like, it, we're still, I guess, kind of on the edge about it. But um, yeah, that's kind of what I'm doing right now.
0: So, anyone who says that these gurus on YouTube ads have never done anything good for the world can take that back immediately because it sounds like they were kind of, like, the inspiration needed to go and actually, like, get things going for you, which is pretty awesome. Did you, like, out of curiosity, I would probably still say to anyone listening to this, don't buy a Guru's course. Mm-hmm. But did you buy a Guru's course? No, I didn't.
2: Uh, I found, like, a couple free ones maybe, like, through Discords and stuff. Like, the communities really helped. I think the communities are really helpful in almost any space. But, no, I didn't get any. I think, like, they just sparked the interest, and that's it. What did um, those theory?
1: first couple yeah. stores look like? Sounds like you went like done the cliche, drop shipping route, AliExpress, fulfill the order, never touch the product. Did were those making any money? Did you have any kind of crazy customer service complaints with the with the lead times? What did what did that originally look like?
2: For sure. Good question. So again, so this was probably back in like 2018. In 2017, or even 2016, I guess, there were there were people taking these like 10 cent AliExpress bracelets, putting it on like some Shopify like basic theme website selling it for $10 and they were literally printing money. Like that was the statement. Like they were printing money. Uh, I, I came like two years later and it was still kind of the same. Like there was, I guess the first ever store I called, I I have was called Top Notch Accessories. And it was these like bracelets and like phone cases, you name it, like a hunting knife, whatever I could find in AliExpress that looked cool at the time. Um, And I think the way it kind of went in terms of just like making money wise was like, I would lose money on like three or four stores in a row or products, whatever. And then I'd find one that would make enough money to help me, like, you know, make up for like those four losses. So I'd still break even and just kind of kept going through that rabbit hole for a while. So I ended up working out, but I never had that big explosion until like a year and a half in where I found like this like six figure thing. But even then, it was dropship. I never saw the product. Customer service was. Uh, whenever I felt like doing it, I would do it. Like it was not good. And and I learned how to outsource and stuff. What what do you think the big difference was
1: between what you were doing kind of in that initial phase and then, you know, what's, what's changed with uh, peachy shapewear and how you actually became profitable and you've been making money now.
2: Uh huh. Yeah. Uh, There's been a ton. So right when Anthony and I first launched this, like I said, prior, all we've been doing was just like testing products for two weeks. And if it wasn't working, we would move on. Like we'd scratch the whole idea at this part, Anthony was like, um, Corey, even if this doesn't work for the first month or two, we're going to keep pushing. This is actually going to be a real brand. Uh, so there wasn't really an option to like back out. We kind of knew that this space was good. We knew that there's competitors like Skims. We weren't scared of them. And like the shapewear industry is growing over the next five years or four years, whatever. And so we kind of just went to market with the mindset that we're not going to back down. We, we knew that, the Facebook ads weren't going to be profitable off the gate. We learned all that stuff before. So we knew that it wasn't going to be awesome, but we knew that if we stuck with it for long enough and built the data and, um, as you said, like hired a right team, put like customer support in place and slowly ventured into like email agencies and stuff that it would um, probably have a higher chance of working than some random store. So that's kind of like what kept us motivated too.
0: That's cool. Yeah, I think think when you can see the big vision that it becomes a lot easier to go and like stay motivated and, and not pivot right away two questions I had because I was chatting with a buddy honestly like three months ago, whatever. And you always hear these like heyday stories of like the Facebook ad glory days where it's like, oh, like like, nothing like a distant right? The whole iOS update, every e-commerce marketer is freaking out these days. But like these days where you could just drop ship anything. I was talking to a guy who was making like, I want to say it was like two to $300,000 a month just drop shipping travel chargers like three months ago. Right. Um, so I'm curious, can you share the brand that was actually making you six figures, right? Because it sounds like there were a couple of unprofitable ones, but there was one that you kind of hit the nail on the head pretty well with back in 2018. So
2: I think the website's gone, but I can definitely sh- share. So what I was selling was this knee brace, and it was kind uh, kind of for olderish people. There was like uh, some kind of spring uh, in it, Had like some spring in the middle of it where it opened and closed, uh, and that's what I sold. And the main countries buying from it it was so weird on facebook because like once you kind of hit a gold mine it keeps optimizing towards that gold mine the two countries yep. were australia and india so we were literally scaling from china to india and australia and i didn't have problems with it like it was working so we kept do- yeah we kept doing it and we were able to do it profitably so and yeah their product was it's like knee brace
0: that i think we paid that's that that's that's amazing yeah i, f- I feel like as soon as you've building up like this international supply chain and you're like you're just europe and canada right yeah you're up in Canada your suppliers in china your customers are in Australia and india that's that's amazing i um the the one other thing I wanted to dive into is so I love the fact that like you are very willing to go and switch things around but also know when to kind of double down on things. I think that is a super good mindset and kind of strategy to have because I think one of the things that i I think I read some tweet a while ago it was like there's three types of businesses right. There's the one that fails right off the bat, right? And so it's like, you go, no one's buying your shit. Okay, cool, I'm going to shut it down. There's the one that people are buying it right off the bat and loving it right off the bat. Fantastic, those are the businesses that blow up. And there's one that's like just doing well enough that you're like, should I stick with this? Should I stay with it for a little bit longer? Like we're just around the corner from profitability. And those are the most dangerous businesses because a lot of the times those businesses are the ones that suck up the most time, the most resources, and really just aren't going to ever be that big, but they take up a lot of your time. So my question to you is, how did you go and know to quickly go and shut something down versus pulling the peachy shapewear concept of saying, hey, nope, I'm actually going to go and double down on this and run this thing, ride this thing out for the next year, two years, whatever.
2: Right. Yeah. Um. I th- I think, like I said, the mindset going into it was pretty much just like, okay, like when we heard the word brand, we just pictured Long term, uh, trying hard, not giving up we're unprofitable.
1: So, you, you didn't you didn't have a specific metric of like, hey, if we're not profitable in three months, we're going to shut it down. You just kind of went in right, with, right, right. We're going to give it all we got until, you know, until it works, or, or we're going to make it work somehow.
2: Okay, that's easier. Yeah, that makes it. So we definitely went into it saying, I think after three or four months, if we were down around, I think over ten thousand dollars, then we were going to throw it out the window.
1: Okay. I'm, I'm, I kind of want to go back to the other one. So you're saying you're selling the knee braces, though. What happened there? Did, like, What what made you shut that one down? Was it competition, ad spend? It became unprofitable? Or why why not keep running it? I think it was mainly competition. At the time, Like,
2: I was just super thankful for having that quick win. that I didn't really care what happened afterwards. Uh, and so as everything in life, there's peaks and troughs. And so the troughs started to come up. And we just said, okay, I see ya. We we kind of abandoned the whole idea, I guess, from yeah competition coming
0: in probably. In hindsight, would you have sold the business instead? Because it sounds like it was profitable.
2: It, it was profitable. We probably could have sold it to someone who wanted to pay for that, but um, going back, probably I don't think it would have sold yeah. for over. I don't know. I, I think it was a little bit different back back then,
0: but maybe like. Right there was yeah. there wasn't the same marketplace. There wasn't the same demand. Like I feel like we're right now. Right now we're at a market top where everyone just has so much cash available uh-huh. for them. And so now, now you're seeing a bunch of people wanting to buy these SaaS businesses, these e-commerce businesses or whatever. And so there's a lot more of a marketplace now.
2: I agree. I have,
0: yeah. Do, do, do you watch, um, watch Bia Heza? I feel like you'd love him if you don't. I
2: think, yeah, I've seen a few. Is he... Does he have a Tesla?
0: <laughs> uh, he does have a Tesla, <laughs> yeah. He's like, he's like this like 19-year-old kid who's got a Tesla. He has like a couple multifamily properties, but his big thing is really drop shipping and e-commerce and he runs a bunch of like instagram yeah yeah pages. i know this guy and i yeah 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 because i was gonna say like, like as soon as you're talking about like spinning up different brands like he's got some cool youtube series where he's like i'm gonna go and start this brand and sell it immediately and like or like like scale it up immediately and actually like the results are really interesting to watch like, like some of the brands he reveals like i think he did like a lambo um button accessory or something yes like that, i've seen this challenge yeah i've seen that he's like in his, yeah. yeah, yeah. So. For anyone listening who's into e-commerce and wants to scale things up, right, like the fact that it's it's August right now, it's been eight months into the year, and you launched in October, right? So it's been, yeah, it's been like been like 10 months or whatever since you've launched this Peachy Shaper brand, and it sounds like you're, pretty, you know, around 600K or something like that in revenue. So the fact of the matter is, like, the money is out there, you just got to go and, like, try it and do it. And so for anyone following along, or listening on to this right now, definitely check out the Hazel YouTube channel But then. Uh, we'll get to some of Corey's stuff too in a little bit, but it's cool to hear that you've had this background and, and got into it from an early
1: age. I, I also think a cool side note on that too, is almost everyone, I think in the e-commerce space has like a whole history of stores. I think that they've started that were never profitable, right? Cause I think a lot of people kind of go in it with the mindset of, all right, I'm going to, you know, th- this is my game plan. This is what I'm going to do. And, and it's going to make money from the beginning and they do it and it never works. But but it really never works for anyone. But I think the fact that you had that ability to kind of go through and, and test out all these different products and, and you know get in the Facebook ad definitely made your last, you know your your most recent business ten times more profitable, most likely than it than it would have been without that experience of probably failing you know a thousand times beforehand.
2: I agree. I I totally agree. I think that I definitely would not go back and wish that those stores weren't unprofitable or that it worked earlier or worse, or whatever. I've definitely got, I built a foundation there. Uh, and there's definitely some bad stuff so far with PG too. So we can get into that as well. The good stuff, Vanny metrics, yeah. or what, it's whatever, like it's growing. But if we, if we want to talk about bad stuff, we can too.
0: Right. Well, we'll get into the good and the bad and, and everything in between in just, just a minute. But before we do that, uh, you are part of the majority of the guests who have been on the show now who have dropped out of college um and so i the typical question that i have asked everyone like like, it's ridiculous i don't know if it's just the confirmation bias of like people who are successful in their 20s all tend to go and drop out of college because they have something that you know as an excuse to drop out or what it is but like most of our guests just didn't finish didn't go whatever instead of asking you why you dropped out in four days i'd almost rather rather ask you why did you go in the first place like was it was there a specific reason why you went to college if if you dropped out in four days i gotta imagine that you probably weren't thrilled about it from the get-go
2: it's a good question um there was a few like hierarchies of this whole post-secondary in my mind so number one was that i could have gone off to a great like bigger school and get my mba or whatever and take that route i could have gone that way and got my marketing whatever and then there was the middle which was like the school that I went to called Sheridan is a middle school, like nothing really crazy, not a bunch of fancy connections, but still a business school. And then there was just a dropout option. I wanted to meet the middle and just try it. Plus my parents were helpful enough to help me pay for it in my first year. And so uh, I thought why not just try it. I definitely don't want to just like not ever see it, but I saw enough in the beginning where I just realized that instead of learning from this person, I'd rather watch all of Y Combinator's YouTube channel and My First Million and any, anything else really besides that stuff i was looking at and um get more context it, from it. it's like
0: i don't know if it's different up in canada but i gotta imagine it's like syllabus week and like everyone's planning for like parties or something like that and the teacher's like here's what we're gonna go over during the semester and, and you're just sitting in the background like fuck this I'm, I'm going to my i'm going to the dean's office i'm going to my advisor right now people are trying to switch classes i'm trying to switch switch my life right now i'm <laughs> not, not, not not i'm not i'm not trying to get out of my english class i'm just trying to get out of this entire university
2: Oh, yeah, you're on the right lines there. I, I was eager to learn. It just wasn't really my style. I think there's been like stuff published how like lectures are like the least effective way of learning. I don't know, but I just knew that I wouldn't have lasted here uh, two three years. So I, I said, why waste two weeks just on go.
1: on that note? Do you have any any kind of areas <laughs> where you really found um, that had great content? Right, you're saying why Combinator channel the my first million podcast. Is there is there something that you typically focus on to get some of that you know tangible education that you weren't going to get at school? Uh, I,
2: I try to keep it pretty fluent. I, I try to keep it pr- pretty open. Um, there's definitely a bunch of books I have down here that I've just read on like accounting. Um, I've I also. Like reinitiated the whole interest in software, and I am super deep on like Code Academy right now, learning Python. I took a few courses online as well for that, uh, Udemy and Skillshare. I think are two other websites. You know, they're all just like similar to school, but you can work at your own pace, and uh, it's all online stuff. So I kind of like that part of it. Right, and then that's um,
1: that, that's the biggest difference between just dropping out and and not doing anything, right? You're you still like the education part. Right. I feel like I spend half my night watching YouTube videos on, on on random stuff. It's just, I think we clearly have a poorly designed education system right now for people that are genuinely engaged and still want to learn, but don't fit that typical mold of, you know, let me let me sit in a classroom with two hundred other people and and fall asleep as someone drones on about a random topic. So. I love um, I love the uh, oh the yeah my my first million podcast absolutely a great one any other any other podcasts that you you stumbled upon
2: for sure my first million uh and i, th- I think the top one listen to is probably the all in podcast with uh david sacks jamoth and those people There's
0: one, gee, I, was, I was talking about that the other week it's probably the best for like political and social commentary uh-huh. and just like what's happening
2: for that i kind of just view it like i'm not going to remember 90% of the stuff they say, but it's good just to sit, like on a Friday night, like, I can just put my podcast in and listen to Four Billionaires talk. I just I, I just definitely get some part, value there, so. right? No matter
1: what. No matter what they say, I'm hoping, yeah, being, uh, yeah I, I gotta check that one out. Connor's mentioned uh-huh. a couple times. All
0: right. Um, I want to transition things over a little bit. So, first of all, like like so far in this, this conversation, we pretty much covered the fact that like, you love learning. You don't want to learn at a traditional school. So you went off, you got inspired from some YouTube gurus. You pretty much started kick starting things off by Selling knee braces, working on some some products that were working a little bit, then didn't work, and so like you're you're kind of going down this path of like learning through doing, right? Like uh, what is it like experimentation or trial by fire, or something something like that. Uh, you you're, you're getting your stuff up together, and then last October you somehow partner up with your business partner today on a shapewear brand. So first of all, why shapewear?
2: it's it's so funny hey, every time every time i meet someone they say okay like you do not look like you sell shapewear uh and that was my partner by the way he's only a year older than me um but um yeah, it's like, like sarah blakely she looks like she still yeah. sells shapewear Corey nicholson not so much <laughs> um i think as i said in the first place no matter what i guess like space you're choosing like the numbers are still out there and they still matter like statista is like my best friend so we we're looking at market trends there and we knew that like the Compression garment space and the shapewear space was growing. There's a few big brands like Shapermint and Skims and stuff launching, and they're putting focus on shapewear. Uh, and Spanx just seemed like not outdated, but like they seemed like they had too much of the pie, and that there was, I guess, more for us to have. Like there's, they couldn't have that much. So that was the first part, like fundamentally. And then I guess like technically or whatever, um, my partner was just trolling through Alibaba and saw these few designs. And um, I think he showed his girlfriend. His mom got some feedback. We went to market with like a few hypotheses and if it didn't work so early we maybe would have ditched it eventually like we said like we had like two three months of like testing trial before cutting it but we just happened to find something that stuck uh, and so we kept going with it uh, and the real reason why he chose it um I, I can't even really say I, I think he just knew that it could make money and so we went that route
1: a co- couple points on that when when did you realize that hey this is working when when did that first moment happen
2: I'm trying to remember the first one. I think it was a couple, but one of them for sure. I think this one's be really helpful. Um, it was like a Wednesday. After- yeah, it was a Wednesday afternoon and my partner was like making some new website designs on Shopify uh, and I was bored. And so I thought, okay, let's open up this TikTok app and film a video. So I, the first thing we tried was commenting on people's videos, like competitors saying, hey, like these people aren't good. Like try ours, like whatever. And that did not work. <laughs> it really got canceled. Like it was not very good. But then the next route, uh, I put one of our products on the ground. I bet you if you scroll far enough on our TikTok page, you'd probably find it. And it's just like this like shaper on the floor. And I I tell a random narrative, pretend to be a customer or whatever saying, oh, I had a party tonight, I wore this under it. It was like eight seconds long, that's it. And it got 2 million views and we had our first, like all kinds of customers like flying in for the first time and we were like, okay, this TikTok thing works and I guess this product has to do it has to have some kind of viral or something aspect behind it, if it worked. So we kind of just kept doing it uh, and it kept going viral. And now we have like 150 K followers, but I think like the first part was, yeah, like just seeing how high the funnel was converting. Cause even now, like for every like hundred visitors, we get like 15% of them add to the cart and around like three or f- like around 3.2% of them actually check out and purchase. And so I don't know, just based on those metrics and just based on the fact that they went viral, uh we, we were convinced that there was something there and so we just leaned more into it
1: i love it we're definitely gonna dive i think a lot into kind of some of those tactics and, and how that worked because the fact that you got two million views on your i guess second video at that point is a bit kind of a bit absurd uh, i don't know, our, I don't
2: know it, don't, sorry i've missed that part i don't know if it was our second video it was definitely our best video but maybe it was like 10 or 20 in like we were still
1: yeah trying. but i mean but still that that seems kind of like a crazy um you you found something that worked, right? And then yeah, then you yeah, stuck with it. For sure. um, to go back to the part of statista and then using, you know, some of this other some of these other tools to figure out trends and things like that. Do you have any sort of framework on, you know, maybe some of those specific tools and like what were you really looking at? Um, you know, is this keyword trends that oh, more people are looking for shapeware? Was it, you know, increasing market size? You know, how how would you explain that to someone that wants to go and kind of do similar research in a different niche?
2: For sure. So there's, there's a few websites that I, def, cause I still do this all the time. So number one, I think you kind of had it there was Google Trends, which is free. Uh, where you can just go onto that. I think it's just like trends.google or something. And you can search queries and see like the search volume for it and see related queries and how much they're trending. So, I think that was one of the first things we did. And in the, in the, of course, you can look at it like not only like in the present, but like five years ago, 10 years ago, whatever you want to see um, and how the keywords are doing there. So that, that was number one. And then Statista, um, If you have an idea of what space you want to be in, um, you can just be as broad as possible and type that in. So if you want to go and sell, maybe you're unsure if you want to sell like dog food or um, dog supplements or something like that, like you can just search the dog space or pet niche space uh, and just keep it broad. And still, as long as those numbers look like they make sense to you, um, that's a good indicator in my opinion, like, we didn't get too sophisticated with it as like my best answer.
1: Okay. So you're just kind of looking at the broad numbers, um, seeing if they made sense. Because I've, I've used Google Trends plenty of times and I've only really used Statista for kind of random random stuff here and there. I've never actually gone on the platform and, and searched for different keywords. So it's cool that, you know, that's just kind of another another tool to add to the, to the bag there. Um, so back, back to your sales strategy. So you saw TikTok started working. And I think you had an interesting tweet as well of of how that that transition went. you realize, OK, you can make money on the viral videos, but you're just as good as your last bat, I think is what you said there. Um, what did what did that next phase look like in terms of, OK, we have a strategy that works, but we have a strategy that's not consistent enough. How do we actually build something that's reliable, that that can keep working every time?
2: Mm-hmm. Again, you're, you're totally spot on like we realized. Uh, We can't just keep posting every day and hoping for uh, X video to go viral. We had to make this more consistent. And so we went the route that almost any other e-com brand should go, I believe, which is just like the Facebook ad route and then influencer route. So at the beginning, we also had a few small macro influencers from Instagram that had maybe like 10,000 followers from Utah, like those fashion influencers post. Um, And those were whatever, like they didn't really work, but we still had content from that, which was really helpful. I think even to this day, like, our brand like breathes on content and like any piece of video from a customer whatever influencer we can get is just so valuable because then you can use it 10 times uh so but we took all that content and more and just went to facebook ads we already knew how to run them so we kind of just did our thing there of course it still wasn't profitable at the beginning because we had to figure out the creative part and how to actually like hook people and we tried some stuff from the beginning that was like again punching at competitors like saying oh like don't settle for spanks like we're doing some stuff that probably wasn't even legal in the beginning and then we went more towards our, our own angles. And one of the best tactics there for our Facebook ads to date is just like, uh, taking videos that got a good amount of views on TikTok and using that like first three second part as a scroll stopper in the video. And then the rest of our ad video later on. Like, so the scroll stopper is like the viral TikTok part. Cause if it works on that platform, it should probably maybe work on Facebook or if not, not Instagram reels. Uh, so we went that route. Uh, but-
0: so yeah, I was, I was going to say that I have two questions and kind of follow-ups. I know whenever I am creating an ad, the way I kind of break it down is into three things. And this is kind of, it sounds like you you reference the same thing, the scroll stopper, right? So it's the hook. So it's like, hey, immediately, like you got you got like a second, if that, to capture someone's attention, right? So that's the scroll stopper from from your standpoint. Then you got the story, right? Like, hey, I tried Spanx. Spanx didn't work. I looked really hot at this party wearing this stuff. That's the story. That's kind of like the, the, the narrative of the whole thing. And then there's a CTA. So like, hey, what do you want them to go and do at the end of this? Is that is that kind of the same format that you tend to follow when running ads? Yeah,
2: when running ads and also when 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 posting TikToks, I think we also like view that platform almost like a marketing channel. Uh, oh, we yeah? do, yeah. yeah. I, I think I think most brands probably should, but um, yeah, you definitely spot on with like the template.
0: Is there a formula? This might be you know, a generic question, but is there a formula to going viral? I don't think it's so. yeah. like, I know, I know it's, it's, it's not predictable. I get that. And that's kind of why nobody can do it that well. But are there certain elements in videos that you've created or you've seen influencers create that tend to go a little bit more viral?
2: I think there's a few that I can put out there. I'm not sure how helpful it will be. Number one is the hook for context under the hook. I think one of the things, this is kind of controversial, but like a person being attractive in the video like it's just naturally proven that if there's these dancing challenges or whatever challenges, like people that not even con- not even controversial though, right? Like, uh-huh. hey,
0: I'm a guy, I'm scrolling, you see, show me a really hot girl. Yeah, yeah. chances yeah. are, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. And yeah.
2: So that's that's I think that was one of them. Like having something. I guess we can label that as eye-catching. So if you if you don't if for example you don't sell products that really require like a a good-looking person like then have a, your product look very eye-catching and not just like a boring phone case or whatever. So um uh, but again it all lies in the hook. Like usually once they're hooked they'll stay because they want to see I guess what happens. So before putting emphasis on anything else, just put emphasis on like the first 2-3 seconds of your video. Um and then emulate and then I guess like repeat that afterwards. Like once you've gone viral a few times like copy it because no one else, those people that, and this is why I view the, ad, the platform as like an ad channel. Um, most of those people, even if they follow you, like no matter what, 99% of your views, if you actually look at the analytics, like 98% plus of them are gonna come from the for you page every time and not the following page. And like, when people are actually following the pages. So it's almost like, I just, I think I coined this term, like I think TikTok is like Dollarama for views. So like you get tons of them, but they're not very high quality and like, they're not gonna like stick around. like. Every time, and that's why I keep saying like you're only as good as your last at bat on TikTok because new people are just always seeing your stuff. There's, It was a top downloaded app last year with like 850 million downloads, so a a lot. Uh, And so most people aren't gonna see your stuff twice. So it's okay if you reuse the same hook or post the same content. And what does your current
1: TikTok strategy look like? I think you mentioned gifting in some of your threads. Is that still a big part of what you're doing in terms of finding those influencers, sending them free products? or do you have some sort of sophisticated, you know, outreach program or what does your actual strategy look like right now? So I wouldn't say it's like a lot of gifting. I want to say, I want
2: to do more of the gifting stuff, but in all honesty, it's more like we're just sending products to influencers and asking them to post and paying them per post and using that content. But we also do have some, some creators that like just make videos for us. And now and then they'll throw an Instagram, story up with an affiliate code or something like that and there's also a really useful website called billow like B I L L O, that we've used to collect content so we got some creators in there um that's kind of the realm that's how we collect the content and then we just structure it like in rather TikTok or adobe and just like keep it like under 15 seconds focus on the hook um try to use viral songs slash trending songs or sounds um and take it from there
0: do you keep any of these guys on retainer
2: um not necessarily no I, w- I wouldn't say so like if an influencer is successful and we want to do another post with them like we make it very clear and then we start to treat them like really like family and you know doing more than just like talking via email about and, the post um but no retainers i wouldn't say so
0: right because i know that i know that one of the one of the guests we had on before from Crossnet, they like yeah. they chris some of their athletes like you know uh chris chris the man yeah we had uh, his brother greg um, and he, they were saying that they, you know, pay their athletes, you know, a couple hundred bucks a month, or whatever like that. and get X amount of content, which is really helpful.
1: So most of your, your revenue from TikTok or the people that go to your site go there from your TikTok, not from other people's videos, would you say? So it's mostly kind of you guys reusing that user generated content on your own platform and then funneling them to your website.
2: Sorry, I said again. Yeah, sorry. The- so
1: it's in terms of like, how do people, most people are getting to your website from your TikTok account rather than from other influencers videos the majority of the time. In the beginning, no no, in the beginning it was like that from our page, but now okay. it's for sure the influencer part. And then sorry, and then then now now you've also broken out and you have found kind of a profitable Facebook ad strategy kind of using that same content um that was on TikTok to to get people in and to get those consistent sales coming on Facebook.
2: Right exactly
0: can you can you walk through like what what a team looks like for an e-commerce brand right so at this point it's you and your partner are obviously starting out but i gotta imagine at this point you're not writing all the emails you're not doing all the customer support what is what does the team look like behind the scenes of peachy Shapeware?
2: yeah for sure so we don't really have any employees per se we don't have any usa-based employees uh, so everything that we work with is like an agency or like someone from the philippines uh and so right now like from a high level like the team structure is like we have three people in the philippines uh two of them are managing customer support tickets like on gorgeous and then one of them is just doing some basic data entry for us like a pnl helping with the inventory tracking projecting if we're low on a askew that kind of stuff and you send me reports through there so those are the philippine people and then and then we have agencies in the states um so one of them's for email so we, we work with connor diamond who's like chase diamond's brother um so we do i was about, I
0: was about to say, I, was about to say yeah. I think his name is Chase diamond but yeah, yeah so yeah.
2: We, we do uh work with them for emails and they've they're super clear and like the way it works there is just a, a ton of slack messaging and we're just like always approving designs approving campaign calendars etc uh, and then we have an influencer agency that almost like employees. like we're very close to them as well um with like weekly calls all these slack pings and just figuring out like um who's posting next and when and how much we're paying them and that kind of route um and based on the cost we're paying them and how much time we're saving, it's, it's definitely been worth it.
0: And I gotta be honest dude. I think the way you're running it is like the way that like, I don't want to be cheesy and say the way of the future, but like, I think it's the better model, right? You have so many companies in the past where it's like you need a 10, 20, 30% headcount, but like in reality now running the business the way you are, you kind of have a lot of flexibility, right? Like you have customer support agents over the Philippines. They're not really expensive on the bottom line. You're working with agencies, right? So agencies i don't know how much you're paying uh you know the agency and stuff like that but at, at the end of the day they they take a good amount of workload off your plate and then once you guys get to the scale where like you need a full-time content person or you need a full-time uh you know ad person you can hire that kind of person in house but you you can really scale a lot without having to go and actually like set up a really legitimate payroll which is pretty awesome yeah
2: i, I totally agree and i get the point from both sides like i have friends that have gone the other route and like hire employees and focus on them. And I, and I was talking in this discord about it. I'm kind of just going to read it. Um, so I, I said, I feel like with interns, like there's turbulence at the beginning, but then it's all smooth. And now they're in-house and you're good to go. Like you don't like, like you pretty much not own, but like that employee is under your belt and no one else's. But with agencies, like if they're good, great, you can scale, but if they're bad, like they're kind of bad forever and you can't change too much about it. Uh, so so then the trade-off for startups or e like startups is like, you can hire an intern or an employee uh, which could be cheaper. Maybe like you save a couple hundred dollars or whatever, like depends on the case. Uh, and they, But they can make lots of small or even a few big mistakes, but you're in control at the end of the day where with agencies, like you're outsourcing it, it might be a little bit more pricier, but far less mistakes, less babysitting. Um, you don't have too much control over how much they operate, which is kind of a downside if they're not so good as I was saying. Um, and you're definitely not their only client and like you're far from their boss. So um, you don't have that connection really, right? Like it's more just like, they tell you what's happening, you give feedback and-
1: It definitely provides a nice level of flexibility, right? Like you don't, you. I think it's, it's a bit easier to get rid of an agency than it is to fire three people, right, fire three people on your team. Yes,
2: yes, very. It's, uh-huh, that's definitely common. I've met friends where it's like, they hang on to employees for that extra quarter and then it's, did nothing but help and now it's even harder and it's a big mistake. And uh, one thing I also learned which was really important. It was like try doing the tasks that you're about to outsource. Like try to say you want to outsource your emails, like try doing email marketing yourself for like two to three months. Just learn the bells and whistles and understand it, even if it's god awful. Like just do it so that when you outsource, you have an idea of what they're actually working on every day and not just like a bunch of smoke. Did I lose Wi Fi?
1: think um, well well. Do you know what's the timestamp? Yeah. Now we're at thirty four thirty,
0: it. just 34 flat. Um, thirty four flat. I'm thirty Huh. Oh shit! You don't have pickup for me. Uh, I think I think it's alright. I think it should be fine.
2: Did I lose Wi-Fi?
1: You want to shoot him a text?
0: Cool. Yeah, I'm doing right now. I wonder if he lost power. So the next question I have for you is, I think anyone listening to this is going to hear, damn, Corey started a business 10 months later. He's already passed $500,000 in revenue. Amazing. You're doing really well. You've been working on this kind of stuff for years before this scene. But I think like any of the, maybe, you know, YouTube guru ads you might've seen in the past. Uh, It's not just all Lamborghinis and, you know, half a million revenue and stuff like that. Uh, There's actually a lot of hard work and and shit that goes on in these kind of businesses. And I would love to know if you've had any kind of like war stories or setbacks in the past that have really been tough to manage. And I'd love to know how you manage them.
2: Uh, As I was saying, I think one of the most important things With e-commerce businesses, is just having a solid supply chain and logistics fulfillment thing all sorted out. Because if you can't figure that part out, um, which is the backbone of your company, then you're not going to be able to like truly scale the way you want to, right? So uh, after, and we learned that the hard way, by the way. Just by uh, we we had a really strong Q1, uh, and right after the March ended, um, we started getting a huge increase in tickets on Gorgeous. I was like, okay, this is kind of strange. What's going on here? Uh, And it turned out like. Bottom line, like we had like around 500 orders go missing. And um, this was mainly because some items were being fulfilled from China still to our customers, which was which was never really good at scale. Like if you're working with manufacturers and wholesalers, treat them as wholesalers and that's it. Like they shouldn't really manage your fulfillment unless you want to be really leading clean in the beginning. But after like 200 orders, like you should always switch over. Uh, anyways, uh, we had like, so now we have like 600 customers banging on our door, asking for their money, asking for their order, asking what's going on our two little Philippine VAs are just going crazy with the emails and updating us at at the end of each day. And ultimately the business probably burned around 30 grand in refunds. Uh, And so we really had to power through that. Uh, It was definitely a pretty mentally challenging time for both of us. But um, again, like we weren't going to like run away from this problem and we weren't just going to like pretend that this wasn't supposed to happen. Like we kind of knew it in the back of our head that this could be a risk factor and so happened to play out. And so we, I had to refund all those customers and reship them, some people like some of them get new products. Our suppliers are friendly, like, they didn't really, I guess, intend for this to go wrong because, again, it was 500 orders and we've shipped like thousands and like those were all fine. So, I think it may be been a hiccup. So, they gave us a refund for some of their stuff too. Um, and again, I'm just always putting the customer first, and from that, it sparked a whole bunch of like SOPs and documentation and notion about like how to respond to a customer if XYZ is happening. We've used like the gorgeous macro templates as well just to really keep things automated and like typically most customers are chill but if they're waiting over like a month or something like then they're going to be pissed like in this case so we really had to just like really put their concerns first uh, and then from that we eventually made it out thankfully we didn't really lose any shopify like merchant account or anything like that we did lose our facebook page uh which was kind of annoying and you can't just make a new one so we had to like figure out a few things there ended up like doing all kinds of random stuff which eventually worked out and now we're back on facebook like this was obviously a few months ago but for like two months we couldn't run any facebook ads which was kind of hard uh and we lost the google ad account as well like our google merchant center got disabled because google flagged our products as nudity because like the women in the shapewear uh, so that was kind of challenging to work around with so for like two months we were just only working with pretty much tiktok and, and tiktok influencers and we still made it out alive um somehow but
0: but yeah. on, the, on the bright side of all of that i gotta imagine that being so limited on the facebook ad account side is probably what sparked you to getting more into the influencer marketing and really pushing heavily through tiktok maybe uh-huh. i'll say partially
2: like partially because in the q1 we still had a good decent run with influencers like it's st- we still like learned in that quarter that influencers were going to be powerful for us on tiktok specifically but uh, i do agree that in april and may when we were like out of lock with Facebook and stuff, that we just put more uh, efforts on that and it definitely is paying off now too.
1: And what does your current supply uh, supply chain actually look like? So you're not fulfilling anything from China, I'm assuming you guys doing some sort of 3PL in the US now that's doing all the order fulfillment? That's right. So we sourced from China and we imported
2: everything to our 3PL in West Palm Beach, Florida. It's run by these two great guys, um, Alex and Sam. They run uh, a pretty well-known e-commerce brand called Black Wolf Nations, I believe. Um, so they understand the ins and outs of DDC e-commerce and the challenges and how like sometimes there's specific instructions you want for a certain order or whatever it may be. And so we place POs from China. It gets shipped into our 3PL. They use this software. Like Some 3PLs, like ShipBob and ShipMonk, they'll charge a lot. And part of that is because they have like their own softwares that they have to pay for, plus all their employees, whatever, whatever, uh, it becomes quite a bit. These people don't use their own software yet, so they use one called ShipHero, which is pretty much standard and does everything that you need to do. And so in there, I can see like all, all the orders, any problems, um, top items being picked and packed or whatever, and my label costs for each order. Um, and it's just definitely been totally seamless now with the TPL.
1: And how did that impact your your bottom line or top line I guess in terms of pricing and cost and you know were, were you paying more now because I guess the shipping out of China tends to be really really cheap with the e-packets because half it ends up being subsidized so now yeah you're paying, we, we, we,
2: it's funny because we were doing some like you're on track like we were doing some e-packet but more and more it just became more like DHL and stuff like we were DHLing it from China to customers because we were just being we weren't being as smart as we could have been. And we didn't go to a 3PL earlier. So we were just DHLing it from China to USA. And that was pricey. That was very pricey. So when you ask about the cost, like um, we actually started making more money per unit and stuff, including the fulfillment fees of our 3PL when going to US. So it was kind of a win-win there. Uh, but if we were e-packeting it, then I'm sure there would have been a marginal difference because like, that stuff is cheap, but it takes like 25 days to get to your customer.
0: Corey, when we talked two months ago, yeah. You were very set on wanting to go and sell peachy shapeware in the coming, call it one year, right? You said something along the lines of like, "Hey, come 2022. At this point, I hope that we do over a million in sales. We've got a, all of our shops built out. We've got all of our emails built out. You know, we like we have essentially a business that's in a really good spot that we can go and sell." Two questions off of that: One, are you still thinking that same way? And two, why sell it if? it's doing so well instead of continuing to continuing to go and run it
2: it's a big question i think every day we ask ourselves this, that, that question and we're kind of just considering it um I, I do want to say that like the idea of an exit is still in mind we both have tons of other ideas that we can also talk about but tons of other ideas um that we want to go and execute on and it really just depends if we want our 20s to be known as like the era of us just selling shapewear and making money. It really just depends on if we want to do that route uh, and stick with it. Cause that still obviously is an option. Like I get your question. Like why would you sell it if it's doing well and you're barely working on it? Like that makes sense. Um, But ultimately like the question, the reason why we want to is just because like I said, there's more opportunities out there and getting, you know, a decent amount of X dollars in your bank with no debt, no student loans, no anything. uh, It can be somewhat life-changing and, Give you so much more opportunities just to try other things, and then you'll still have problems in life. Like, we've had that that talk too. Like, we realized that we're still gonna have problems in life, but if we can get rid of our money problems early on, then the rest of the problems, like, we'll have more time to focus on. Uh, but money problems is definitely like the first one we both want to solve. So, which would and the exit would solve that, but also keeping it could also solve that. So, we're still considering it, but I would say we're definitely leaning more towards the exit sometime next year.
1: Do you have any sort of specific? you know, revenue goals or is that more of a timeline thing? Because it is a double-edged sword, right? Because it's tough. All right, well, now now if revenue is increasing, then, then it makes the decision to sell harder if your cash flow is also increasing. Or is it a, uh, you know, more of a timeline thing? Hey, we probably want to be working on something else. And after that, I would definitely kind of love to dive into some of those other, you know, ideas you guys have in mind.
2: Uh-huh, for sure. So I think... It's kind of the opposite there. I think that if revenue is declining and stuff is declining, then we become more, um, I guess, concerned about the exit because then it's going to be harder to find a buyer if your growth is just like dying. Um, so when the revenue is increasing, we just get happier because then just that, that means that we can just throw a higher multiple on the EBITDA or whatever. Um, and yeah, I, I think there is a timeline. I don't want to share too much about the actual goals and how much we want to sell for, but I do know that um, sometimes... Before the ending of Q2 next year is when we would sell it if we wanted to, uh, and it'd be cool to sell for like 3.5 to 4x EBITDA on the valuation there.
0: Million dollars, million dollars, no more, no less.
2: <laughs> Did I say that?
0: <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, I don't know. I'm just messing around. No, I think I, I think what I love the most about this podcast is that you have really motivated people who are doing really interesting things. And so what I'm even more excited about is to bring you on in Q3 and you're going to be on a yacht somewhere and we're going to be like, all right, Corey, let's walk us through the actual deal and, and how everything broke, broke down. So um, I th- I'm excited to see what happens. Uh, one quick question I kind of want to start, not, not necessarily wrapping up with, but uh, moving to this part of the conversation is what do you want to do next? Right. Say, Let's say you fast forward now, it's a year from now, and you sold Peachy. you got some cash in the bank, you're excited. Uh, are there certain areas, certain business ideas that you really like that you would be super happy to go and start another business in, whether it's e-commerce, software, or whatever, I don't need to code right now, but are there certain areas? Because I know anyone who's listening to this podcast right now is either pretty much exactly where you are, right? They're They're young, they are working on something and building it up right now. Or the younger they want to go and do something right so I'd, I'd love it if you could share some ideas in that sense
2: right um it's a good question i think <clears throat> that the first idea that probably comes to mind uh, most obviously would probably be starting another e-commerce brand and i think that's like the best part of the game like like the way i usually visualize it to myself is i'm in this awesome arcade we can call it the shopify arcade and it, there's like tons of games in this arcade and I've just been playing one for a while now and I've got a good score. I have enough tickets. So now i want to take those tickets and take those coins or whatever and go put them into a new arcade game in the same arcade, just a new machine. Um, so I, that's kind of one way I'd go with it. And I would just start another e-commerce brand, maybe in the health space or the pet space. It's, it's very crowded, but if you can get an audience in the pet space, like, it's amazing. But a few, I, I, the way like the framework would look for the store is like, something that has a higher AOV than like $50, which is our current AOV, something higher than that. And it's also a higher price. So higher price point, which would be like somewhere between a hundred to $250, um, which would just give us, give us so much more room to uh, spend ads, spend money on ads profitably. And just like, you know, making it back there or you can go the subscription route. So I have tons of friends, like some all kinds of stuff on subscription. And I've had a few ideas there. One of them being like in the sleep space, like I think, like melatonin gummies and melatonin infused stuff or like lavender epsom salts like that kind of healthcare space and the sleep space is really huge and there's some big brands doing this like hush with their blankets um but i think there's more room to go there and i've I've looked into it a little bit um but that's how the framework would look number one it's like somewhat higher ticket slash subscription so you can make more money with customers on the front end like when you want ads uh and then the second idea is more just like um and also one more thing there. Sorry for the e-commerce business is like a lower SKU count because right now I'm juggling like 180 SKUs because oh, there's terrible. different sizes, colors, you name it. Yeah, it's it's not <laughs> the best task. Uh, so if we can cut that down, if so if we can cut that down to like five SKUs or less, um, I can't even imagine how much more fun that would be uh, to manage than 170. So that's also another like huge thing I'd consider if I was starting something up uh, is like how many SKUs is there actually going to be, and if one pops off like how much harder does that become etc um and then the second idea is i'm also like i'm reading your twitter thing like the bio for your podcast it's like discover the top entrepreneurs creators and athletes in their 20s so it's very specific and i think i follow almost all three of those because i've started this company and i'm a creator i have my own youtube channel and my own twitter and i'm also very athletic and so that's kind of like the next space i would go into is like more of the athletic space and just kind of um i have some goals there where i definitely want to run a marathon within the next year or so um so, uh, and when, when I started working out a few years ago. and I'm not sure if you guys have seen my Instagram. People always oh, ask me if I'm like a bodybuilder or whatever. Yeah. I'm, I'm really not. People check
0: out Corey's but... Instagram. He's, he's actually he's <laughs> shredded. I I just what's, ra- what's your handle, Corey? Oh yeah. Uh,
2: Corey and CEO.
0: Yeah, Corey. I uh, I just ran my first marathon last year. Dude, all I can say is like stretch a lot. Like uh-huh. it hurts. It like and also I'm not I'm not. One, I'm not much of a runner personally. Um, so getting into that whole phase took a while, but uh-huh. all I can say is just stretch because, like, you're just constantly sore and everything just gets tight all the time.
2: Yes, I stretch all the time. And during this podcast, I got a Charlie horse, and you guys probably don't even know, but I got a Charlie horse, and it was <laughs> hard to get rid of.
0: Oh, yeah, see, see, Corey was pretending that the internet cut out 20 minutes ago. In reality, he's got a Charlie horse and just quickly pressed that <laughs> up oh my god
2: uh so th- th- those are the two routes to go though i think it's like or maybe there's three like but number one would be like um the e-commerce brand starting something new there in the same arcade uh number two would just be like taking a year or two off and not focusing so much on like a business standpoint and just becoming more athletically unlocked by like running a marathon or doing something crazy there uh and then number three would rather be like starting a software company, which is like a whole new realm, like a Shopify app or like a Google Chrome extension or something just like brand new, like bottoms up, uh, slash uh, a little bit of angel investing as well. I'm constantly looking at people, what they're working on, startups with all these communities I'm in, um, like Hustle Fund, and I'm always looking around on AngelList, and there's one called like uh, RUV Alliance. Like, there's all these cool communities and websites that you can um, just see who's getting funded, what's going on. And so I've always thought, hmm, like, if I have X dollars and I take X percent of those dollars and invest them in startups, like how, like how can this actually work out? And like then how can I get deal flow and this and that? So that's why I'm also um, on these podcasts and like tweeting and stuff. I'm just trying to really really keep that network open. It's also very fun.
1: What would you tell someone that's in their 20s, maybe doesn't have money, maybe has money, that wants to kind of go the e-commerce route? Do you have some advice on you know should should they start maybe trying to drop ship stuff and you know under the not under the knowledge that they're not going to be making money in the beginning to just learn the ropes or do you have any kind of advice on what that looks like how do you can how do you find a product idea how do you launch how do you scale um, for someone that hasn't done this before
2: uh-huh uh-huh i think that if i can go back the first things i'd always keep in mind like almost always is um In the beginning, try to stay lean and clean, whether if that means dropshipping or rather if that means fulfilling out of your apartment, like go that route in the beginning, but then to counteract to that, like don't do for too long either. Like there's been the whole like thesis and people say like do things that don't scale in the beginning. Sure. Like you can follow that, but just for a little bit of time, some people do things that don't scale at the beginning and then they keep doing it. And now they're fulfilling orders in their apartment for 12 hours a day and not doing marketing. And that's a big problem. And so once you kind of have that first spark afterwards, which is kind of hard, but once you have that spark, then begin to like really outsource your time and make sure you're focusing it more on like your product and your marketing and you're talking to customers, getting feedback and not so much doing the tedious stuff, like writing emails, um, you know, uh, fulfilling stuff in your own apartment. Like I've heard stories of that and they always wish they can go back and change that, but you know, you kind of can't. So do things that don't scale in the beginning if you want, like, like I'm saying, but then afterwards, once it's going well, don't be afraid to outsource it like it's the way to go Um, so that's number one and number two would just be um, you do need cash usually to start these things like these are physical products and you know you've seen the headlines like oh start this with $500 like you're gonna make it but like I don't agree I think that um, if you're gonna be starting an e-commerce business especially in this day and age right now in 2021 you would probably need at least like five to ten grand to start this and get it off the ground Uh, and that money would just be used uh, towards marketing fulfilling orders running ads like Uh, keeping the shopify up all that stuff like it it goes quicker than you think um so if you have less than that it's not a problem like there's other ways to make money like flipping stuff or whatever else you want to do like cutting lawns like all that stuff works very well but um if you don't if you have less than that money like i would i would say wait so you can do this properly and not like have to compromise what you're doing
0: yeah well said i think that there's something to be said about your job as an entrepreneur is to grow the business, plain and simple. It's to only get the business to $1 million, $10 million to $100 million, whatever your goal is there. And if you're spending all of your time working in the business and you're being the one that's picking and packing the products so or you're you know, writing every single email, that's okay to start. But you're not going to go like, like – the way I think about it is Tim Cook, right? This is an extreme example. But Tim Cook is not really doing anything – beyond being really a face and maybe a strategic head for Apple, right? He's not the one picking and packing the iPhones. He's not the one writing the copy on the website. And that's the most extreme version of all of this. But at the beginning, right, Steve Jobs was the one writing the ad copy or whatever. Maybe he wasn't or whatever. But when when you're a small business, you have to go and do the work until you're able to outsource it. But the goal should always be to go and hire someone to replace the work that you're doing. So I think that's very well said. Um, Well, Corey... I have probably like five or six other questions that I would want to pick your brain on at another time. Um, but I think for the sake of the podcast and you know where we're at in time right now, I think it's probably worth wrapping up and uh, giving listeners the opportunity to kind of follow you beyond just the show, especially if they're interested in seeing what PG Shapewear can become. So where can people go and follow you and, and learn more or hit you up if they have any questions after this?
2: For sure. Like the, the main part, the the main place is definitely my Twitter. Again, it's just at uh Corey C O R E Y N C E O. That's my handle. Uh you can definitely feel free to DM me if you have any questions that um you can't find online, stuff like that. i love to give some feedback. Uh and thanks guys for having me on.
0: Yeah. It was an absolute pleasure. I feel like anytime I'm able to meet someone who's twenty years old and selling Over half a million dollars worth of a random product like Shapewear, uh, it just gets me way more motivated. So now I'm about to go and just look up a bunch of stuff after this podcast on on how I can start another brand. For sure. (laughs) All right, man. Take it easy. All right. See you guys.